Hello and welcome to the Modern Reformer podcast. The mission of the Modern Reformer is the edification of the saints through the recovery of the historic faith. I'm your host, Mitchell Roden, joined by my co-host, Avery Roden. Ahoy. There it was. It's bang. Ahoy. We've been waiting. Back on the high seas. Actually received an email from Captain Jack Sparrow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He said, you have heard of he, me. He had a rough time at a trial lately, I heard of. So <laughs> <laughs> He's out of that, and he's ready to recruit. <laughs> he's, he's ready to go back to filmmaking. Huh? He's ready to recruit new pirates. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully these pirates will be alive. Yeah, well, that's good. Is it something to do with the moon or something when they came back? Ah, who knows. It's been a while since I watched that movie. That's your generic paganism. <clears throat> <laughs> <laughs> pirate pagans pirate pagans Halloween's coming <laughs> the, up with the words can the pirate pagans uh, so welcome to our episode on Halloween <laughs> now <coughs> now we all know where you stand <laughs> yeah okay. we stand there with you <laughs> this is a, uh, yeah episode Good. 12 episode 12 of effectual calling it is almost Halloween. And the day of recording, what is today? The twenty twenty seventh. Twenty seventh coming up. Yeah. Also my wife's birthday. Coincidence? Also Reformation Day. October thirty first. Coincidence? I think not. See if it was my birthday I would be like, I was born on Reformation Day. Yeah, that would be great. Yeah. That would be a uh, an effectual sign. Providentially. Providentially. A providential sign. Displayed. <clears throat> but I wasn't. Only my wife. Okay. Well, effectual call. How would you describe that, Eve? The effectual call? The, the Okay. So the effectual part is the Spirit's work in the believer, raising him unto life. Huh. Um, softening, as we'll see in point one. Yeah. Changing his mind, heart, and will. Huh. All three of those aspects, uh, the whole salvation. And the call, and it's... Uh, it's bare bones meaning is the proclamation of the gospel or the covenant of grace and the conditions thereupon to enter. <clears throat> That's the call, the gospel call. Hmm. So the spirit, so the, so you see in this chapter the word and the spirit working together, never mm-hmm. separate. Mm-hmm. Factual spirit, call, word. There you go. Mm. So you'd make a distinction between the general call and the factual call. Yeah, I mean, yeah. The confession would. <laughs> yeah, so I would yeah, I would agree with the confession <laughs> yeah. and reform theology that would say there's a general call to all mankind and there's an effectual call to the elect. So if you remember way back we said being reformed very broadly, being confessional, being covenantal, mm-hmm. being Calvinistic. That's right. And so Calvinistic uh We tried to fit five C's, but there was only three. <laughs> so, so yeah. We tried to make everything five points. <coughs> we were an infrared group there, an infrared group. <laughs> So the uh, third point, if you will, of Calvinism, the one that is labeled in the tulip acrostic with the I, the irresistible grace, that actually references this idea of effectual call. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. we, we touched on some of those issues. Of yeah, you can think chapter, term, chapter three. Terminology. Chapter seven. So, yeah, you yeah. get both those things in there. So, so... 
And it, it's building, so we got done looking at the covenants, the mediator of that covenant. So we got the, you know, chapters, the early chapters. Um, you got the foundation, the things of which all things are built upon, the scripture, the trinity, God, his being, all those good things. Then you got the covenant being confessed, and then you got the mediator of that covenant. Now you've got God's work inside of that covenant of what it takes to bring people into it. So that's what you're getting at with chapter 10. So this is a big part of... Uh... The doctrine of salvation. Uh, the the uh, you might say the popularized doctrine of salvation is uh, giving a gospel call and calling for a response. And that's good. That's good. It is good. Works. I'm certainly glad that went on in my case. Amen. There. That's for sure. Uh, that being said, this doesn't necessarily look only at the outward things of say the uh so when somebody asks you how can i be saved paul doesn't um so for example the philippian jailer what must i do to be saved believe believe Uh, we don't deny that (laughs) (laughs) yeah so that being said what we're looking at here is a little deeper into uh, the doctrine as presented in the scriptures namely the work of god in salvation uh, yep. what actually brings about that belief? You could say it that way. Why does the Philippian jailer believe and so many other in Philippi do not? Questions that naturally arise. Mm. From whence does this faith come? How do I keep it? Is it up to me? Uh, pretty much this is this begins the pretty big divide between brothers in the Lord on how they see uh, the scriptures unfolding on, on these doctrines. Yeah, so a factual call to um, <clears throat> to a Puritan here is a much broader term most of the time. So it's this is going to encompass regeneration along with a lot of other things of what we would think of in the Ordo Salutis of Romans 8, which they reference here. Yeah, it's the first reference. So modern, modern theology tends to break that up uh, as the call, justification, glorification, those things. Uh, predestination all those things are are really broken up uh, and this time they're looking this effectual call this call is really encompassing multiple aspects of that order of salutis or, or, or the order of salvation so <clears throat> in these four points they're kind of they're kind of touching on every aspect of that a little bit anyway so yeah so regeneration of course is the giving of a new nature we've, we've talked about regeneration quite a bit yeah, yeah that means to be born again, re again, generated birth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's given. When, yeah, I like it. <laughs> yeah, so I'll, I'll say for me, as far as yeah, coming to believe the things I do now, the seeing the truth of this idea as presented in Scripture that the call that God gives encompasses new life, and that He gives it and it's imparted sovereignly by Him. It was a big turning point for me. That for me personally, that was actually the turning point as far as just uh, looking at the scripture and seeing its presentation of, of this idea. And it took me a long time to come from where I was, which was basically just an Armenian, I mean straight up, to where I am now, which is basically the opposite thing. Look at you now. Yeah. And and the way for me it was actually behold. <laughs> There, there was two, and obviously we'll get into into that, but there was two really key places that 
in, in the scripture, that is, that really stuck out to me. That'd be Romans 8, of course. <laughs> that's the first one they use. Yeah. And then, uh, and they don't, they don't actually cite this one in any portion. And it's 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and chapter 2. Now, that's a lot of text. But in, in 1 Corinthians 1 and 2, which uh, we'll probably take the time, to, I'll just go through that today. Uh, not Obviously not both chapters in their fullness, but to see kind of the scope of that and what's taught about calling there, this idea of calling. So we was talking before we started here uh, that most Christians, I think, think of calling in a very general sense. So they speak of, um, are you called to preach? Are you called to, to you know, minister? Um, is this what God has called you to, right? And that that's kind of the extent uh, that, that you really see it used in most settings. This idea of uh, not an effectual call that God brings life out of death and, you know, sovereignly imparts a new nature, and that's what produces faith in the person. That's kind of what we're saying. <laughs> that it's not a general, you know, do you think this, do you think the Lord's leading you this way, but a effectual. And I think the use of this is way better, like I talked about way a long time ago, way better than irresistible grace. Not that that's not necessarily an accurate way to state it, but that really it's an effectual call, that it it has an intended effect from God to the recipient, and that effect will it, happen. It accomplishes its purposes. Yeah. Because it's based upon <coughs> the triune God and not man. Correct. So, Which he can't be thwarted. So, yeah. Yeah. All those good things. Point one in the, in the confession, I think, really summarizes the whole thing. It's a, it's a, I mean, you could do a couple, probably, in-depth podcasts on point one, just the, all that's stated. Obviously, we're not going to do that. But it's nice. You should. You should check it out. <laughs> you yeah. Sh- you should check it out in depth. It's a good sub point. Yeah, I agree. So, uh, of effectual calling, this is chapter 10, episode 12, uh, point one. Those whom God hath predestined unto life, he is pleased in his appointed and accepted time to effectually call. By his word and spirit, out of that state of sin and death in which they were by nature, to grace and salvation by Jesus Christ, enlightening their minds spiritually and savingly to understand the things of God, taking away their heart of stone, giving unto them a heart of flesh, renewing their wills, and by His almighty power determining them to that which is good, and effectually drawing them to Jesus Christ, yet so as they come most freely, being made willing by His grace." Uh, they use a lot of texts. Um, the one, the couple, I think, that are most important. And if you are following along with us in a confession, which is how we would recommend you, you know, best case scenario, uh, follow along with us. Uh, in the confession, they kind of the way that they cite the text is, um, how would you call it? annotated? So a little bit um, of the things they try to prove um, are, are proved as they go, so to speak. That's not stated very well at all. So um, if you had a confession in front of you, it'd make complete sense. Uh, unfortunately, me trying to describe it's not very, not very good. But what I'm trying to say is they break it up. Um, 
So if you were to, if I was just to try to go through all these texts they use, they actually use specific texts to, to prove specific statements they make. That, that might be a better way to say it. So this idea of uh, God predestinating to life and then in his appointed time and accepted time effectually to call, that's really the biggest point that's made, that all those statements are biblically accurate, that God does predestinate the elect, and then in his own chosen sovereign time, he brings those people to the knowledge of himself through the call. Um, so they use Romans 8.30 and also uh, Romans 11.7. So Romans 8.30 is that kind of the end of that golden chain and uh chain of redemption yeah the golden chain you you were you you worded it the ordo salutis which is latin for the order of salvation that's right those whom he predestined he also called those whom he called he also justified those whom he justified he also glorified <clears throat> now that's Roman I, eight, that's I, romans 8 30 romans 8 30 mm-hmm. so i would say anybody anybody that's biblically literate is familiar with romans 8 and specifically romans 8 30 that being said when you actually meditate study that out this is the one if there's one verse one section that that swayed me over from one side to the other and obviously that's a very large sway right uh, uh so so I was never Armenian in the sense of you can lose your salvation. I was Armenian in the sense of you can get it through your own generation of the faith that you must have. So uh, you were a whiskey Calvinist, yeah, a one fifther, a one fifther. You liked the perseverance. I did, loved it. <laughs> so uh, you didn't like whiskey? No, no whiskey. <laughs> just, just the perseverance. Just the perseverance. <laughs> Go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. So, what you'll notice in Romans 8 in this particular section, um, and again, I won't do this for all the references, but I, I think this one is important enough. And, and at some point, I'll go through 1 Corinthians, uh, which they don't use, which they should. But uh, Romans 8, start in uh, 28. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestinated to become conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Those whom he predestined, he also called. Those whom he called, he also justified. Those whom he justified, he also glorified. So uh, this one group, this idea that God has this group that all things work together for good for, and it's those who are called according to his purpose. That's the first use in these this little limited group of text. this idea of called. 30, the same use predestined and then called now there's only two options of interpretation one the one i used to hold this idea that that call is the general call for all that will come right um uh, the general call of the gospel that is commanded for us as believers to share with the world unconditionally right the general call that should go out to every creature under heaven as paul says it's either that (laughs) or it's this idea of an effectual call. Uh, both things, I think, and again, we, I'm sure we're going to have to get into that, but both both things are clearly presented in Scripture. I think what's highlighted here, though, is this idea of the effectual call. Why do I say that? Why is my interpretation correct? Right? That's the question. Uh, because <clears throat> if you have someone who's been predestined, justified, glorified, they have to be called as well. It has to be just as sure as their justification and their glorification. 
Um, so you'll notice in this chain, there is no mention of man's side, if you want to say it like that. Um, there is a man's side that we see clearly in Scripture. This is actually presenting what God has done for his people, how salvation works from a very strict perspective, and that perspective is from God and what he does. And in that perspective, you have predestination, which is a, which is a choice and a determination of God. Then you have call. That's the way it's laid out here. And the call is in time. So these things obviously are very big. They get easily philosophically, you know, minded. That being said, I think it's clear enough that the same group that's predestined is the same group that's called justified and glorified, right? And even though it's not explicitly stated, sanctified as well. So we have one group of people in which salvation comes to, and that salvation comes solely on the grace of God alone. That is his choice and his, uh, his application. And that's a triune work, right? So that's a big, a big, a massive thing. Without the call, without this doctrine of effectual call, um, you can still somehow have this idea of a general atonement made for everyone and meeting God halfway by coming to him. With the doctrine of effectual calling, you can no longer have that perspective. It's gone. It's done. It has to be uh, given. Life has to be imparted before the coming takes place. And that's really the, the crux of the disagreement between uh, brothers here. Uh, so, <clears throat> anyway, go ahead, Abe. Yeah, so that's so chapter 10 comes after chapter 9 for a reason in those things. So we look at the covenant. So the predestination here, uh, we saw it clearly in... Then mention, I think, of effectual call by name in chapter 3. And also you see it mentioned in chapter 7. I can't remember if they use it by name in chapter 7. <clears throat> but this isn't a new teaching in the confession. This is more zooming in on it, what you see of the effectual call in chapter 3. <clears throat> so when it says God hath predestined, that's called the pactum salutis or the order of, uh, of, uh, of covenants. So that's the covenant of redemption to start with there. It starts with God and flows inside of time, as Mitchell said. So you have the predestination of God, which is outside of time, <clears throat> which occurs before the foundation of the world. And then you have the effectual call, which comes forth inside of time. So uh, Calvinism, Reformed theology, teaches that people prior to this call are actually lost or actually in a state of sin. It's not like... Uh, it's, that would be some charges against it to say, well, you just believe nobody's ever lost. Like, no, you're lost. These things have to come through forth in time. They have to be accomplished. <clears throat> but they are predestined according to your correct understanding of the covenants. <clears throat> so that's what he's going with here in, in the first of point one. All that are predestined, uh, he, he's a pleased to appoint them to life, effectually calls all those that are predestined. So... Yeah, so a good a good uh, argument against this idea of predestination is so you're saying like you said people people are never lost right no <laughs> so that's what this idea of in his appointed time and as in his accepted time yeah so that <clears throat> is uh, you have to accept biblical categories in order if you're going to do that correctly right and that's biblical categories would be. God's outside-of-time decree, inside-of-time accomplishment. Yeah. Uh, so the, the end of the world is fixed, but the end of the world is not now. I mean, 
So it's the same argument. You have to say, well, the end of the world is now because it is fixed. It's like, no, it's, it has an actual Correct. end point. This, this isn't the only place. It's pretty tough. Yeah, right. <clears throat> so if so, if you're going to say that God has a decree, and because God has a decree, inside of time, things can't change. It's like, oh, that's not, that's not a biblical teaching. Yeah, they cite Ephesians 1, which <laughs> at this point, <laughs> we're leaning pretty heavily on Ephesians 1 and 2 for doctrine here. About salvation. So, and I'll say a quick word on that. It's important that we read the whole Bible. I think everybody understands that. That being said, Obadiah and Ephesians are not the same. Okay. Not all things are equally as clear. Not all things are equally as clear. And also, not all things are addressed to the same subject. So, if I was talking about, uh, say, um, you know, First Temple Israel... Right, I would go to a certain section oh. of scripture that that's that that's in that time to that audience oh. about that subject. Okay, would you if, go to Matthew twenty-four? <laughs> no, <laughs> okay, no, that's not the first tip. <laughs> if I was talking about Solomonic Israel, <laughs> okay, okay, I would go to uh, the the narratives that contain the subject in which I'd like to study. Primarily. Now, I could also go through the whole scriptures and see what it says about whatever the subject may be that I'm examining. That being said, (laughs) there are certain sections in the New Testament that are given over to examining things like the order of salvation, things like the nature of man, how a man is made right with God, what is faith, things of that nature. That being said, Ephesians 1 and 2, Romans 8 and 9, places like that are leaned heavily um, from all Reformed thinkers. Uh, they're leaned heavily on by them, and, and for good reason, because that's what those sections explicit are, uh, pl- explicitly state, <clears throat> right? Mm-hmm. But that being said, Ephesians 1, 10 and 11 says, He predestined us. <laughs> and then, and then <laughs> we've obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will. So, I mean, it is a proof text, and that's okay. In some, if it actually is a proof text, then it's a proof text. Well, I mean, so, when, so. when we cite the scripture, we're gonna expect for you to actually put that in context and rightly understand that inside yeah. of. So that's when they cite that. That's what they assume that you're gonna do. Yeah. So well, that's, that's the reason they cite that. So it's not a proof <laughs> text; it's a proof concept taught in that chapter. So that's the reason yeah. they cite the text explicitly. Yeah, that should be stated. It, I guess. It, here's a good one. I think. In context, uh, right? Second Thessalonians, pesky <laughs> context. Second Thessalonians two, uh, thirteen and fourteen, and it says, "We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. To this He called you through our gospel, so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ." So, obviously, they're asserting here that that use of called is the effectual call. Um, that through the, through the uh, sanctification of the Spirit and the belief in the truth, those things aren't nullified. That, of course, you believed, but it's the call. He called you through the gospel. You heard, you believed, and that's the uh, means through which uh, the Lord was pleased to effectually call you in your appointed time. It's a, be- it's a beautiful um, Yeah, it's word, it's word and spirit. So yeah. it's those two things working together. Understanding, if you remember what we talked about in chapter of the Holy Scriptures, that chapter one, this chapter, chapter one, 
we said scripture is uh, clear in and of itself. It in and of itself interprets itself as a rule on itself. And then it is no way understood apart from the spiritual illumination by natural man. So that yeah. that's the effectual parts of spirit's work. The call is the words part. Yeah. So uh, I guess to kind of summarize that first section, which is just very dense. Uh, predestination can be seen as a separate thing. That's the choice of God the Father. Uh, election is also, in general, the same idea, that the elect are predestined. It's the chosen, yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so this idea of call is inside of time God brings this to pass. That That's really as simple as it gets. So uh, the, the means through which this happens, moving on, by His Word and Spirit, uh, can't be overstated. It didn't really say one or the other. That, that's, <laughs> I guess that's the thing that sticks out. Uh, so that means that all the things that could easily come to mind of an objector, like you go to bed on Monday night, lost, unregenerate, old nature, hating God, you wake up Tuesday morning, new nature, loving God, nothing, you just, it just, poof. Not the case. Not the case. Nor is it the case that as an ac- ac- academic human being and an intellectually minded person with a soft heart, you can read the word on an academic level and come to a saving knowledge of Christ through that pursuit. But it has to be coupled with the effective work of the spirit. And that's a massive statement. Now, so that, that's, uh, that's a good illustration, the academic part. So we're, we're mm-hmm. talking about mind and heart issues here. Yeah. So that's the reason you're going to see in point one the differentiation, which we, I'm kind of skipping ahead, but, but between the mind, the heart, and the will. Mm-hmm. So we're not saying that somebody can't pick up the Scripture and learn about Jesus, because they can. They can say, oh, look, look here, here's Jesus. What they can't do is bend the knee to him in faith as Lord. In a, in a saving way. In a saving way, because first off, their mind is hostile towards that. Not that they can't grasp that, because their heart is unrepentant and locked in stone. Right, unable to be governed by the Spirit. And then lastly, their will is needs changing. <laughs> that will is the desire of that brings forth from the heart and the mind. All those things need uh need renewing. <clears throat> you need that's why the new nature is all encompassing and salvation is all encompassing. Yeah. But so we're not just just say again, we're not saying that somebody that's lost can't pick up the scripture and you know, stop drinking or whatever. <laughs> what he's been saying is some kind of moral action that would come out of that. We're saying that apart from the effectual work of the Spirit, that person will not will nor want nor be able to submit itself to the law of God. Yeah, and I'm getting way ahead, but they, they quote the parable of the sower, and they quote it specifically, uh, that's Matthew 13, but they quote that one section about the rocky ground, hmm. which... I think that they're trying to illustrate what we're actually saying now is that it's not, we don't believe that the, so here's an ex, a very practical example, a personal example. There's like a mystical superstitious um, treatment of this, of the Bible itself sometimes. Like don't put stuff on top of that Bible. You ever, I mean, I don't know about you guys, old, old, old uh, older people like my old, people <laughs> that I know people. <laughs> the older people that I know maybe I don't want to name names but maybe my papa or uh, previous generations had a very superstitious mystical view I, one time I was handing out bibles 
And a guy said, you know, I don't need one. I've got one. And ever since I put it on my dash, my car has been running great. See what I'm saying? So it's like, what do you think this is? <laughs> what do you think this does? I mean, that literally happened to me. I, I, I was sitting there like, um, okay. I mean, you don't want to say, great, man. You know, that's what the Bible does. The power of the word of God to make your car run great. Right? No. So uh, what I'm saying is we, we don't actually believe superstitiously that, that the Bible somehow is magical. Right? What we believe is it contains God's word and coupled with the power of the spirit, it's the means through which he works, both in calling a person out of death into life and for the rest of the Christian life and sanctification. It is the means, it's the instrument, um, but it's not the superstitious thing. It, it's not somehow a, t- a totem or, or a relic, that idea. Mm. It, it's, you know, you could, you could take my copy of, of my Bible and you could burn it and it, that doesn't offend me. Right? I don't want you to, but it's not that you have somehow destroyed my faith or some kind of object of worship of mine. I'll just go buy another one. Why? Because a right view of the scriptures is necessary here. Right. But that being said, it is the word of God, and it should be treated with reverence, but not superstition. Right. So, so we don't have this weird... There's some more categories for you. <coughs> yeah, superstition's bad. Mm-hmm. We don't like that. We don't like that. We're not Catholics. We're not Catholics. No relics. <laughs> <laughs> so that being said, can I have none? From the outside looking in, it would look like you didn't believe in God. You read His Word, or you heard it preached, and then you did. We hold that up. We agree with that. What the Bible reveals about that is that the Spirit gave you a new heart. Spirit opened your eyes. He was patient. He was kind. He was gracious. Yeah, the means he used was the preaching of the word. Yeah. Yeah, so that's the means in which the the, the purposes of God are accomplished. Free to use means. It's also in the confession, which he does. Free not to use means. He uses means, but free not to. So you're you're by nature in this state of sin and death. You're called out of it to grace and salvation by Jesus Christ. Um, that's Ephesians 2. <laughs> uh, they use verses 1 to 6, but first couple. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, <clears throat> following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived, in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. I just might as well read it all. God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Now that's that's specifically looking at regeneration. That's that dead, alive. New nature, new life. But the way that happens is through the effectual call, that he calls you. Um, he brings you. He summons. It's a summons. It's a summons unto life. So this effectual call is the impartation of life to you. And it's through all those ways the 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 renewing of the mind, will, and uh, <clears throat> the mind, will, and uh, what am I going for here? Heart, heart. Thank you. <laughs> My goodness. <laughs> so the changing of the mind, will, and heart. Those yeah, things which he does. That's the that's the, <laughs> that's the change in nature. So all those things are hostile towards God, 
Now the change in heart is no longer the heart of stone, as you see in Ezekiel. Was it thirty six? Yeah, thirty six twenty six. Yeah. So you see that same imagery used, taking out of the heart of stone, given the heart of flesh, and that's the heart. What that means at its basement level is given a heart that can be ruled by the Spirit, that, that's not indifferent toward the command of God, that's not indifferent towards His will or His way, but one that is malleable, that can be bended and sculpted into the will of God. <clears throat> that's the change of heart yeah. that He gives. You also go from dead to alive. So yeah. it, it is sometimes rather dramatic, uh, right? Are you, everybody's familiar with those Yeah, stories. it's very radical, yeah. yeah. It doesn't always have to be dramatic in the mm-hmm. sense that I was in Hell's Angel and now I'm, you know, yeah, a right. Sunday school teacher. Um, sometimes it's that dramatic. A lot of times, though, it, it's, um, I grew up in a Christian home, heard the gospel, believed it, right? And I've always loved the Lord. And that's just as uh, miraculous. So, uh, enlightening their minds spiritually and savingly to understand the things of God. That's a massive statement. Um, they use Acts twenty six eighteen. Uh, basically, says God opens people's eyes. Uh, Ephesians one seventeen and eighteen, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. He uses a po- Paul uses a poetic phrase uh, that that your heart now is able to see. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, it's it's a massive thing. Um, throughout the entire ministry of Jesus, after he starts using parables, that is, which is pretty early on, it would seem Matthew thirteen. Uh, those who have ears to hear, let them hear. What's that mean? You know? Well, how do you slice that one up? <laughs> quickly. <laughs> you slice it. You slice, you slice it. it quickly. <laughs> slice it quick. Yeah. So, yeah. he God's the one that enables you. God's the one that calls you, teaches you, the whole thing. Yeah. yeah. This is this the impartation of the new nature. The nature in which you were dead in trespass and sin, the impartation of life, the changing of, of all those uh, aspects of you. Again, so gives them a heart of flesh. This is prior to faith. This is what we. This is what we. Yeah, that hear. that's what's very important. Yeah, that's what was what I want you to hear. This call, yeah. this summons unto fellowship with God, is prior to faith. That's what we're talking about. The ordo solution. The ordo solution is what comes first in Romans eight predestination, next call, next then justification. Okay. So while this takes, while this com- comes forth in like a moment, we're not saying this is like a yearly process, but logically this is the order of which that it occurs. Because you also uh, read in Romans eight that the that the 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 person that is in the flesh is unable to please God, nor nor could he. Right? And that's the reason you first first Corinthians one and two. So the natural ability of man being dead in trespasses and sin is wholly other than this. So it's not your mind is is darkened. It's not enlightened. Your heart is of stone, not of flesh, and your will is bound to sin. So the Spirit must come and regenerate you. You must be born of God, born from above. You must receive this new nature that is able to will and to work for God in order to receive this, uh, in order to receive faith as a gift from God. And that's what chapter or sub point one's really summing up there for you. <clears throat> Taking away their heart of stone, give them heart of flesh. That's Ezekiel thirty six twenty six. That's what it says. Mm-hmm. I will do this for them. Yeah, renewing their wills, uh, moving down, effectually drawing them to Jesus Christ. Uh, they use Deuteronomy thirty six. 
That's chapter 30, verse 6. Uh, circumcise your hearts. Uh, this idea in the Old Testament clear as day, right? That you have to have a new heart. That the outward, and, and then subsequent revelation, the outward obedience to to law, to custom, to ritual, none of that does it. A new heart is required. Uh, so they use uh, John 3, obviously quite a bit in the confession, but also in this section. And it's interesting that Jesus says to Nicodemus, you should have known this, in essence. You, being the teacher of Israel, have to know this. What's he talking about? The new birth. You have to have a new birth. <laughs> so so it that from the Old Testament, you should know this, right? Ezekiel, Deuteronomy, Isaiah. I mean, the list goes on. Yeah, it's clear, very clear. That God has to give you the ability and then call you out of death. Yep. So um, this last part, uh, they come most freely being made willing by his grace. Yep. Okay, this is another straw man. So the Holy Spirit does not believe for you, nor does uh, is compulsion ever involved here. Something, nothing like that. This is a rebirth of which that now frees these things to act upon faith as a gift. <clears throat> that's that's what we must see. It's freely, uh, the like I, like I said, the spirit is not uh, said to be believing for you, or nor nor that it's not your faith, but it is a gift made willing through these things, made willing. So, that's important. Yeah, you think that about that? Yeah. Well, this idea of coming freely, it's extremely important. I think that's what's lost in the the verbiage of irresistible grace. It makes it seem as though we was all running the other way, and we still would be, and we still want to be, and nothing changed in us. We were just scooped up with a, a divine, you know, backhoe, and and dropped down into this new place against our will. Now that old divine backhoe gets you every time. It's a good one. Yeah, that's the straw man. Yeah, so that, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. what they'll 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 claim that Reformed theology. Teaches. And then you go and look at uh, Paul's testimony before I want to say it's Agrippa about kicking against the goats. Ah, look, everybody resists. Yeah, we know, right? We know that for the rest of your Christian life, it is a struggle and a resistance of the Spirit in which you can grieve and quench the Spirit. Like we understand that. The only reason anybody saved is because God called them, though. That's what we're that's what we're saying. <laughs> the only reason Paul, who was on a road to murder Christians, did not continue is because of a blinding light and Christ revealing himself to him. That's why. Yeah, nor is does Paul want to, nor does he wish to continue in his sin after that. That's the difference. Yeah. Because he has a new nature. Because he has a new nature. So he's now been that, born from above. Now that he sees Christ and knows him, he says, Hmm, I think I'll follow him. <laughs> yeah. So so the problem is we live in a time in which has really highlighted the truth about the necessity of repentance and faith. That's true. What they haven't highlighted is what that actually is and how it comes to pass. Right. So we all understand as Christians, we have to have repentance in order to be connected to Christ. Repent and believe. I don't think everybody agrees with the repentance. Right. Thing. That's true. But you should. You should at least go that far. <laughs> so, so repentance is necessary. That is a turning away from your previous way of life and your previous thoughts towards God and a turning towards correct uh, doctrine and, and action. 
that and belief, faith in the message proclaimed, the true gospel message of who Christ is and what he accomplished and how it applies to you, savingly uniting you. We, we, we fully agree with the necessity of repentance and faith. What we disagree about is why some people do that and some people don't, number one. Number two, how that comes to pass in the life of a person in a real way, not how they can repeat after me, follow the Romans road, you see what I'm saying? Sign the back of their Bibles. We all see that happen. What's the difference, though, between a truly saved, regenerate person and an unsaved person? And is it in the creature, in the person, or is it in God? Is it from God or is it from them? And, and that's really where the actual disagreement is. Right. Yeah, so I think the cogs really turn on man's ability and what you think the fall really encompasses. <clears throat> it does. Yeah, so then that, and that's what Luther says. Um, with his debate with Erasmus, he said, upon all of this, you've put your finger upon where this turns. To say, what is the natural ability of man and, and how dependent upon he is he the, of the grace of God? Yeah, which Erasmus would have said, he is in need of grace. Mm-hmm. He's in need yeah. of grace that he can cooperate with. Yes. Yeah. So, But he must cooperate. So if you disagree with point one uh, of this here, so if you, agree with the, if you disagree with the factual call, you're much closer to Rome. Then you realize much, much closer to Rome than you you, you would care to admit. Because <clears throat> at that point in time, we're going to say, well, he can he can believe and, and have this faith apart from the equipping or the giving of the Holy Spirit. What else can he do? Keep what, it. What, can he keep it then? Yeah, he can yeah. keep can it. Can he walk in these statutes and bring forth his faith and persevere yes. on his own? Yes. So yes, he can. You'd have to say yes. So you see you how close to. you are to Rome at that point. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And that that's why the theology matters. Agreed. I think the worst of Arminianism is a popeless room. The worst of it. So if you if you reject this effectual call, what you're left with is man centeredness and no there's no way for you at that point logically, and I'm saying that people don't do this. I'm just saying logically, if we're gonna push people to logic consistency, there's no assurance that you have. If this is not spirit brought or spirit maintained or by the decree and will of God, if it's solely up in the will of the mutable man, then it's always subject to to fail. It has to be because men are subject to failing. The work of redemption is is, is heavily hitched to your performance and what you can and cannot do to persevere in this faith. Mm. Which... Say Wait, that's, me, the, that's the logical. That's Rome. <laughs> yeah. That's Rome. They may have a little bit more fancy way to do it, but that, yes, that's <laughs> that's them. Yes, and that's so. the, that's the vast majority of Baptist churches today. By the way, that's the vast majority of evangelical Christians today. Cooperative grace. That's what they believe. So yeah. we don't. Right. We think the scriptures are clear on this point that God saves alone. And this is uh, this particular section is the way in which He does so. Right. So, uh-huh. all right. There's a lot more text. Yeah. They do use Psalm one ten three, which says, "Your people will offer themselves freely on the day of your visitation." Depending on your translation. So, this idea of the call of God producing a new nature, repentance, and faith does not nullify the fact. That's a good psalm, by the way. Yeah. Psalm one ten. It is. It's a great psalm. Go ahead. Sorry. It's the most quoted Old Testament. It is. Yeah. Uh, that is, reference in the whole is, New Testament. Yeah, it is yeah. the that is the most cited verse. Psalm one ten. Yeah, one mostly one, but also mm-hmm. a lot of other yeah. verses. There's Your people a nugget for you there. Will offer themselves freely. So, uh, 
from my perspective, from my perspective, you could be truly regenerate, loving Christ, and and saved, okay, and never understand this aspect without. Oh, uh, for sure. Yeah. That that's the thing. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> <clears throat> and that's why, obviously, you don't have to believe this to be saved. That's not in any way what we're saying. What we're saying is the scriptures reveal this to you so that you would rightly worship and, mm. and God and truly know yeah. what grace means and what uh, salvation encompasses. Right? It, it's not a. It's not an issue of those who believe this are the only ones they've arrived. Like, no, it's just revealed in the scriptures. That's that's you know the assertion. So, agreed. <clears throat> All right. That being said. Yeah, so we we have to rightly define made free here. Uh, most you know freely does these things, being made willing. That free there is biblically defined as we talked about free will last episode, which was what acting upon desire, acting upon these things, the ability to choose. Right. <clears throat> so that's we're not saying so in the eternal state. So if you are an Arminian, let's say in the eternal state, how does we talked about that last episode, but how does that work? How is man free inside of that? If you're going to take those conclusions, he's not. And what you mean is in the eternal state where we can't fall. Can't fall. It's un, you're, un, you're unable to fall. And somehow it's okay for God to violate your freedom. Then. Correct. So right. they're, they're okay with that, but they're not, they're not in this. So right. the answer is a, a biblical freedom is, is not man dependent. It, it's dependent upon the triune God and the triune God accomplishes these things. Yeah. Effectively. Amen. Mm-hmm. Okay. So moving on. Point two. The effectual call is of God's free and special grace alone, not from anything at all foreseen in man, nor from any power or agency in the creature, co-working with his special grace. The creature being wholly passive therein, being dead in sin and trespasses, <laughs> until being quickened and renewed by the Holy Spirit, he is thereby enabled to answer this call and to embrace the grace offered and conveyed in it, and that by no less power than that which raised up Christ from the dead. Yeah, so point two um, is in direct opposition of two teachings which are, and they're still in operation today, probably in the same force, but what they're reacting against, and one is Rome, when it teaches congruent merit, that means that uh, you, you have to receive grace, but you cooperate with that grace. That's what we were talking about in, before. We kind of jumped ahead. but So it's congruent merit is the name of that teaching or that doctrine. And also semi-Pelagianism would say that um, man needs a little bit of grace to get him started, but he can cooperate with that. Uh, congruent, let's say, we'll go back to congruent merit for a minute. That's uh, popularized in, in, in the new saying, which that you'd be familiar with, was probably God helps those that helps themselves. Yeah. That's congruent merit. <laughs> So that's saying do everything that you can in order to 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 get to God, and then He'll do the rest. Mm-hmm. That's not what the Bible teaches. Okay, no. that that you won't see that anywhere in the Scripture. That idea is completely foreign to the New no, Testament. It's, it's our assertion that the Bible actually teaches the exact opposite. Exact opposite. Yes, and it's that's what's if there's one thing that's so if there's one thing that's lost and now lost again somehow <clears throat> is the actual gospel message. And and what what God actually does in saving men, that's what the Reformation recovers, right? This idea of justification by faith alone, and that mm-hmm. faith being a gift, mm-hmm. right? According to Ephesians, right, <laughs> right. 
So, uh, yeah, so that's going to get you against those two teachings. That's what they're semi-Pelagianism, which I don't know if we've defined that or not. But We have. Pelagianism okay. is. And Pelagianism. Yeah. Pelagianism, which nobody is. Yeah, yeah. No, it, no, nobody is. Then. So he's been abolished. Not by name, anybody. Yeah. So <laughs> they that doctrine would propose that men are um, completely unstained from original sin mm-hmm. and that uh, they actually don't need saving. Yeah. They well, they, yeah, they they don't need grace in order to save themselves. They just need the example of Christ. Yeah, so they yeah. can follow it and they can do it. Now, semi-Pelagianism says, yeah, they're kind of there's something that's touched their nature, but uh, they haven't lost this ability unto unto yeah. faith. And now that's what everyone says. Everyone that's so, not reformed so, and Calvinistic. So they need a yeah. little bit of grace in order, for, but this is a grace that they need to cooperate with. Mm-hmm. So that's what they're, so it's not foreseen faith. So when, that's the common Armenian objection to predestination. Well, it's predestination because of his foreknowledge of what he sees throughout time and then goes back, kind of reads it back into his own decree and then decrees what's already going to happen. It doesn't make a lot of sense. But I'm just saying that's the really their workaround for semi-Pelagianism there. So it's a cooperation of grace. Uh, Wesley would have used provenient grace. That is grace that can be thwarted. So the Spirit comes and gives you an option, and then you either cooperate with Him or you do not. Mm-hmm. And, and that's it, that's very prevalent. It, it's up to you at that point. So God draws you the best that He can. He's trying to save everybody and failing, but He's just trying to do the best He can and trying to figure out who's going to cooperate with Him. Mm. So Paul, for example, and that, of that that's system, actually that's actually what has become the gospel presentation is you need to cooperate. Yeah, right. Yes. Yeah. Not a magnification of this is what God has accomplished, but a repeat after me and cooperate and, and you'll be fine. So on this optional generation uh, aspect of what's been taught in semi-Pelagianism or what's being reacted against in this point, Paul could have not been an apostle. Paul could have chosen at any point in time not to been uh, not to be who he was. Like Paul, Christ and God would have to found would have had to find somebody else. Like he could have, he could have just not been who he was. <clears throat> yeah, and so it is with every prophet. So, so yeah, yeah, so God's really playing with the hand that He's dealt at that point yeah. from man. So when you knit David together in his mother's womb, or you knew the plans you had for Jeremiah before he's conceived, you can't. Like you can't. <laughs> It's all contingent. It's contingent upon Jeremiah. Now, you can still have a decree in their system because you have foreknowledge, but the foreknowledge is not foreordination or forelove. It's foreseen. Hmm. And that's what they're acting against, saying that there's no foreseen thing in, in, in man, in the creature here. It's something that is wholly unforeseen in that way because there would be none apart from his efficacious grace. Yeah. That's a big, that's another big point of distinction. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah. Big no one. co-working. No co-working. All things come to pass because God's decreed them. Yeah. So they use, and I use quite a bit, but I, I would highlight 2 Timothy 1, 9, and I'll start in verse 8. Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me as prisoner, but share in, in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. So that would encompass really every point of doctrine that's examined in other places more clearly, like Ephesians. But what he's saying is, we've been given this grace before time. That's because of the covenant of redemption made within the Godhead, the predestinating act of the Father, 
the willingness of the Son to come, then the coming of the Son and the accomplishment, and now the application of that redemption through the Spirit, all of that's encompassed in that one tiny verse. It's amazing. Obviously, you need the rest to see it, clearly, but it is it is necessarily <laughs> contained. There you go. So, so <clears throat> point two, I think, is really going to bring out the passivity of man inside of this operation. Yeah, so, so, so the way the gospel is presented is very not passive on man's part. Um, and that's, that's not necessarily wrong, right? Not, not necessarily. But the, the, so for, for me, again, and I don't really like giving personal anecdotes, but I seem to be doing it in this episode. <laughs> for me, I really believed for a large portion of my life, say from age 12 to age 21, 22, that to go to heaven, you pray the prayer. I didn't know anything else about anything. I didn't care to know. I didn't care to read. All I know is I felt guilty for my actions and I wanted relief of that guilt. So I consistently prayed that prayer all the time. And I I came to the point of basically practical atheism because that did nothing for me. Imagine that. Because in my thinking, influenced by various outward things, that's what salvation was. Like, here's your part. Do your part, and now you have it. Um, so, yeah. As opposed to, uh, in one sense, you don't have a part in this. Like, you're passive. Passive means you receive completely because of someone giving. Yeah. Yeah. You're you're just as active in your second birth as you are your first. Right. Which is, you're not. Right. It's your mother that births you the first time. It's God that births you the second. Yeah. This 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 regeneration, this rebirth, this being born from above happens to you. This is the distinctive. It's not something you cooperate or participate in. It is wholly a work of God unto your salvation. <coughs> Excuse me. Not not contingent upon the creature, but he is made willing and given the faith as a gift. Not something, according to point two in Scripture, that you co-work with, nor is it anything in which that is foreseen in you, but, but, but by the special grace of God. That special grace is, the, this is that effectual call, is that summons and that giving of the new heart, which is not of common grace. We've talked about that. It is of special grace, not of uh, a common operation of all men of grace, but of only the elect. Yeah. So they use First Corinthians two fourteen. The natural person does not receive the things of God. They cannot uh, spiritually things or spiritual things are spiritually discerned. Ephesians two five. Dead and trespasses and sins. John five twenty five. Uh, Ephesians one nineteen and twenty. Uh, so. The statement of being passive is really again the 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 dividing line here. Mm-hmm. So you're dead, and you have to be quickened. That's the old the old King James way to say it. <laughs> quickened means given life. Yeah, right. this is the impartation of life. Yeah, by God to sinners, and uh, He's thereby enabled to answer this call. Now that's what we mean when we say regeneration precedes faith. Mm-hmm. So we don't nullify as the end of the previous point. That they come freely, willingly, as Avery likes to say, without a gun in their ribs. No, I've, I've said multiple. I've said knife and guns. Right, but something. I, in think, their I, ribs. I think mainly I've used guns. Something being spurred on in their ribs. I mean that's a. I mean that's a, that's a good picture though. I mean, it that, is. That gets it across. That would compel me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah right. I like my ribs. I don't want you to be shot in the ribs for sure. 
So you have to be quickened and renewed, and then you're in, enabled, and that's really yep. the the difference. So versus the common gospel presentation you see everywhere, which is God's done all he can possibly do, and he's done, and he offers it to you. Now it's up to you. So, yeah. that's We're saying the opposite of that. I mean, we just can't overstate it. And this is, this and what we're not saying is, don't come and don't believe and don't repent. We're we're still saying that. Yeah, we're saying you have yeah. to be able. To, you have to be made able and willing to do mm-hmm. those things. Yeah. And you can you can pray very differently to a God that does that for you. You can worship very differently a God that has done all that for you. Yeah, very differently. Yeah. So this, we've talked about this, but this isn't the same as saying there's just a lot of people just trying to beat down the door of heaven and God turn them away. Right. This is all that come to me on every cast out. Yeah, so this is the special grace aspect. So apart from God's grace, all humanity would devolve into just one big chaotic murder scene. But he restrains that, and then some of those he gives special grace, as in to convert them into his family. That's what that special grace is. So everybody, apart from the grace of God, is in hell. I want you to see that. That's the very definition of hell, is in God is only present in judgment there. This is the exact opposite of that. He he changes your heart, makes you willing, and gives you the faith. As in you actually, it's actually your faith. It's not the spirit brought. But you're passive in that. It's not a, it's not a, uh, a common. It's not the spirit believing for you, as you right. said. Yeah. Yeah, it's a spirit giving you faith. Yeah, common yeah. Uh, uh, common new terminology is monergism versus synergism. Monergism is the one will of God acting in salvation. Synergism is God's will acting with your will, and you're cooperating and bringing forth a, like a joint, mushy faith versus a, a, a spirit brought, never dying, redemptive, accomplished faith that is that is biblical of yeah. of a monergistic work. Yeah, and I think the last part here is very. I mean, like, there should be an explanation point. And by no less power that, than that which raised up Christ from the dead, that is the same, and they quote, of course, Ephesians 1, 19, and 20, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is at work in you, that idea that uh, the power in which uh, Christ rises out of the grave with, mm-hmm. he, he imparts. Yep. The new life he has is the new life we have. And, and, now, uh, uh, yeah. and Christ, Christ freely, willingly got out of the grave. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> you see that there. Correct. You know what I mean? Christ isn't compelled to come out of the grave. Yeah. Christ freely, willingly gets out of the grave. Yeah. And it, it is a, most people use Lazarus as an analogy to the nature of men and then the call. And, I, you know, I don't think they're wrong to use it as an analogy. <laughs> right. I think they're right. Not dead like the Lazarus, dead like the prodigal son. Yeah. So moving on to point three, this is a, this is a tough one. Uh, point three elect infants dying in infancy are regenerated and saved by Christ through the spirit who worketh when and where and how he pleaseth so also are all elect persons who are incapable of being outwardly called by the ministry of the word now they use John 3 uh, 3, 5, 6 and 8 and in summary what that says is you have to have a new nature. You have to be born again if you're going to see the kingdom of God, and it has to be given to you by the Spirit. Uh, the wind blows where it wishes, and you hear it sound, but you don't perceive it. So it is with everybody that's born of the Spirit. The Spirit works in His own way, in His own time. I think what they're holding up here 
is not um, that we know who the elect infants versus the non-elect infants are, or that we know um, who the, those who are diminished in capacity by whatever reason, we can know which one of those are going to heaven and which one ain't. Right? They're not saying that. They're saying those people have to be saved in the same way, even though we can't see the same effect outwardly. Right? Would you agree with that? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So they're not trying to dive into the identity of these people to say that they're that all these people are elect or all these people are not elect. So whenever we come to this doctrine, it's and this is especially relevant for them. I think I was reading something, I think up to one-third of, of young people before the age of 15 died during this time. So it's something pastorally which they would have dealt with well, probably much more than we would today, but thank the Lord. <clears throat> thank the Lord for that. But so they're not trying to identify these elect people, whether mentally handicapped or dying in infancy. They're simply saying that those people still need to be called. Yeah, and still, again. yeah, right. Those people are not innocent. They're they're going to say uh, these people are under original sin, under that stain in that fall, and need redemption from it. Versus, uh, and then before I go on, we, we must handle this with care, and we've got to uh, we've got to understand that there's a pretty big consensus inside of most, especially Reformed, but most of evangelical theology that would say the Scripture just doesn't speak to it. There's a couple instances where they would try to make application, but <clears throat> over, over overwhelmingly, people have a consensus of which Scripture is silent on the issue of of elect infants or elect people of diminished capacity uh but it is clear upon who's under the original sin it's it's clear that those people are under that taint of sin and need redemption from it and we're not saying that just because you outwardly can't see this call this effectual calling does not mean it does not occur so they're not saying here that just because an infant is incapable of repentance or incapable of outwardly seeing an inward work they're saying that this is it is all possible and that they would be regenerated and saved <clears throat> not that not in, not in which they wish to identify who is and who isn't they simply say that this is possible through that yeah and i think it's a reaction against various teachings of catholicism um, about infants and baptism <laughs> so without just going into all that land of candy Right, which is just a massive land of candy. Just pure mess. Without getting into it, just so sticky. Right? Uh, basically, baptized infants go to heaven because they've been baptized. Because baptism in the Catholic system removes the stain of original sin. Mm-hmm. Mm. So, this is a reaction against that to say, no, people go to heaven because they're born again. Because of God's free because choice. of God's free choice mm-hmm. and His grace and His application of redemption to them, that's the only reason anybody goes. Yeah. So he has he has so he in has those freedom it, with the infant or the many. In those cases, don't don't superstitiously baptize your infant and think that they're going to go to heaven if they die in the crib. Yeah. That's number one. Number two, with diminished capacity, it doesn't remove their nature. That's number one. Which the, there is some superstitious stuff, not dogmatic teaching from the Catholic Church. But there's various superstitious applications of weird stuff about people that have diminished capacity and how they're basically just 
all going to heaven because they just are. Okay, we'll just say it like that. Uh, they're still people, and they still need the same redemption applied to them as every other person. Yeah, so I think a position which is very common today, that which is not confessional, it's not a confessional position, is like the age of accountability. That's a good one, yeah. And that comes from the Catholic system. Right, so they're going to say that you're not responsible for your sin until you reach a certain age. Uh, I don't know. They, they say it's different for everybody, like it's not definitive, but you have to come to this knowledge that you're actually sinful and at what point that you need to be actually born again. Before that, you're kind of kind of under some kind of blanket system. I used to hold the position loosely inside of that, which I've abandoned. But that that's the common way in which that people nowadays get try to get around it to say, well, we don't know, but here's some comfort in that. Other than saying the triune God of the universe will do right, and let's leave it up to him. And he has to give efficacious and special grace to these people like he does everybody else. They simply say, well, they're just innocent. Right, which is the wrong answer. Which is impossible because innocent people don't die. Yeah. Once you hear that, if these infants are truly not tainted with with original sin, then their death is unjust. Okay, so, and, and this is a big problem at the time. This is either prenatal or postnatal. We're talking miscarriages or in infancy. They don't define when infancy stops or when childhood starts. That's a different. Yeah, well, that's not their goal. That's not their goal yeah. here. They're simply saying that these people are capable of being regenerated. Well, I want you, you to hear that you, first. You see the same mindset not this mindset but the mm-hmm. opposite at every funeral you've ever been to most likely all that's required for entry into heaven is death and you're in every funeral i've ever been to that's it like that's a good point you go you go to a funeral of like you know someone who clearly is a secular person who outwardly you could go to their facebook two days ago before they died and says i hate christ and i'm not going to heaven and they're in you walk in the door, they're in. It's what everybody says. It's what everybody believes, and they go home happy. Because because they don't understand the truth of God, the gospel, how it comes how it comes to men. Right? Mm-hmm. And that's, that's it's not yeah. good. Yeah, so I mean, the main parts of point three here is pastorally, you handle this with great delicacy. Yeah. I, I want to see point... A lot of solid men that were completely adhered to the confession at many other points yeah. struggle with this one. Yeah, and and I'll say so, this. Here's the analogy I would use. If you go to the doctor and you have cancer, and you, you ask them, why do I have this cancer? And they lie to you. That actually, it may help. You know, it's because of the fluoride in your toothpaste. <laughs> Change toothpaste, you'll be okay. And then that don't work, guess what? That may help you initially, but that actually hurts you long term. Spare your emotions. Yeah. To spare your emotions. Now that being said, pastoral counsel: when you don't know, don't help. <laughs> yeah. So, so people ask me a lot of stuff all the time. For example, just random stuff like, "Should I do this? Should I do that?" And I, more often than not, it's about a practical thing, a decision they have to make. Right? Should I take this job? Should I buy this house? And I tell them, I don't know. I don't say, you know, here's a seance. Turn to turn to First Chronicles 12. Yeah, no. Like, don't... Uh, pastoral counsel is not just emotional well-being counseling. That's not what pastoral counsel is. Pastoral counsel is, this is what the Word of God says. This is what we can have assurance about. That's what He gives it for, a big part of that. When I don't know, I don't know. 
right? And it's, I guess it's our assertion here that we don't really know for sure how that operates, but we do know what's given. And what's given is mm-hmm. this is how salvation is applied to, to everyone, and it's the same. Yeah. You know, and take, you can, yeah, like, so, like you said already, comfort <laughs> has to be taken in the character and nature of God. Yeah. That, right. That's where you find now, it. Now, with, I've never lost a child to mis- miscarriage or uh, infant mortality uh, by the grace of God. Thank the Lord for that. If you have, uh, or if maybe one day, who who knows what the providence God holds for each one of us. That being said, that's a terrifying thought and a scary thing to walk through. Um, MacArthur, the greatest American theologian, <laughs> d- did write a book called Safe in the Arms yeah, of God. I haven't read it. One of, one of the few people that's even touched this thing with a 10-foot yeah. pole. Now, his, his conclusion... Uh, read it for yourself, right? It's you know how if anybody's familiar with MacArthur, he's a very intelligent man. He's more than able to speak for himself. In my answer, in my you know uh, summary, his conclusion would be that you have to rest in the character and nature of God, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, 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 so let's say that you're a confessional person. You say, I think all children that die in infancy are elect. And they're going okay. to heaven. I don't think this is against that. That's that not, I don't think it is. Either. So that's not because to be yeah. honest, I think that. Right. I think that. I don't know how you don't think that in one way. Right. In another way, it's either that or I'm not sure. I don't know. <laughs> right. So I'm just saying it's not like, well, I think that's my position. Like, okay, I think that's a confessional position. Yeah. They're not trying to teach that they're either way of, of what the status of these children are. It, it, like we've said, it, they're simply saying that children... Uh, are capable of being regenerated first off and they're capable of having this effectual call in the salvation you just outwardly can't see that whether you're mentally uh whether your capacity is diminished or whether you're in infancy this this grace can still be applied to you yeah and is so in, in, yeah, in upon, upon studying and reading this uh, initially when you just hear the term elect infants it automatically makes you think that they're making some kind of statement about we know who they are or something of that nature. And uh, again, upon study and meditation, I don't, I'm with you. I don't think that's what's intended. Clearly, actually, yeah, not right. intended. Clearly not. I think yeah. what's intended is a very straightforward statement of this is how salvation works. This is what we know. So this is how it has to work for everyone. That means it has not that you can outwardly see the same things. In Infants are those of diminished capacity. But yeah. that though the work of God has to be the same, and this is this is shared among all the Puritan confessions. So Westminster and Savoy both agree in this. Savoy actually uh, changes a little bit of wording, I think, and the Second London actually restores it. I can't, but either way, they're all in agreement. They're they're all substantively saying this is this is how this works. Yeah. So there's consensus there. So that should bring you a little bit of comfort. It's not like this is somehow like a uniquely Baptist position or anything like that. Like that's shared among all the Reformed faith there. <clears throat> if you wanna, if you wanna have comfort, what we want is for someone to tell us that our child's in heaven or that our cancer will go away or that we'll never die. <laughs> right. <laughs> what we want is things people can't give, and that's our problem. And so many counselors try to give you things that they can't give you, and they know they can't give it to you, but they don't want to see you tore up, right? That's not what you're going to get from a true pastoral counseling situation. What you're going to get is a look unto Christ, look unto the nature and character of God. That's the only hope any of us have. Mm -hmm. If we live 80 years and never have any misfortune, which no one does, but if we live 80 to 100 years like everyone else on the face of the earth at this particular time in human history, we have no uh, outward troubles, 
we never have a, a day in the a dark night of the soul. We still face eternal judgment and we still face eternity. And those are the things that actually matter, you know? So, uh, mm-hmm. though we can have temporal and, and good counsel and we need it bad, I'm top of the list. That being said, really good temporal and good counsel points you to eternal things. Because that's really the only hope we have. It was Gershner, I think. I think it was Gershner. So this isn't always in infancy. You see, uh, I've talked to many people that have loved ones which are were died ardent sinners, which are clearly in, in hellfire and damnation. So how do you how do you how do you have comfort in that? And the answer Gershner gave, which I was listening to a while back, is that in your glorified state, you can look at your own mother and realize that. Christ is being glorified in their damnation and then rejoice in that because you are made that much into the glory of God. And that's the hard thing which people don't want to speak about, but that's the ultimate answer of whatever hardship you face is in God will glorify himself. I revel and wish to seek for that glory which that he seeks to bring to himself. So whether that's in a child of which you've lost or whether that's in a close family member which has perished, under the wrath of God. That's the ultimate answer, and that's something you have to grow and strive to put yourself into. Yeah, that's tough. That is a tough thing, which is not complete unto unto complete glorification. But nonetheless, that is the answer, and that's what you should strive and, and take comfort in, is that the God of the universe has glorified himself. Yeah, so the hope the hope that Christianity actually offers in in the midst of many caricatures and falsehoods, the hope that Christianity actually offers is eternal life, true knowledge of God, true knowledge of oneself, union uh, with Christ, and an eternal destiny, like an actual time when uh, you will see the face of God and you will see it uh, smiling. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you will no longer be bound in captivity to sin and death, but you will have freedom. And you'll have the capacity to do what you were made to do, glorify him. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So that's yeah, the cover. So point three, big picture here. Uh, children need uh, need this effectual call. Uh, people with diminished capacities that can't be outwardly seen need this call as well. Yeah. It's a tough section. It's a, mm-hmm. it's a tough subject in it general. Yeah. Uh, again, the resource I would plug is Safe in the Arms of God by John MacArthur. Again, the greatest American theologian. <laughs> we going back that, and forth on that. That's that's a joke. He I, will, is a, he I is, will. He is a good theologian. He's fantastic, and he, he. I would say he's the greatest modern. Let's say he's one of the greatest. One of the greatest okay. modern theologians. All right, we'll American see. or otherwise. We'll say that. To say that he's the greatest American theologian, <laughs> we got Ben Franklin. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's on, on the hundred dollar. He's on some monies. All right, all right. Point four. Others not elected, although they may be called by the ministry of the word and may have some common operations of the spirit. Oh boy. Yet not being effectually drawn by the father, they neither will nor can truly come to Christ and therefore cannot be saved. Much less can men that receive not the Christian religion be saved, but they never uh, be they never so diligent to frame their lives according to the light of nature and the law of the religion they do profess. Now, this is actually a great comfort if if rightly understood what i mean by that is 
one of the biggest struggles of my life. Again, this this podcast has become personal anecdotes. This one, is Mitch's calling. One of the <laughs> <laughs> one of the biggest struggles of my life was assurance. Okay, uh, assurance of uh, knowing God and knowing that I am in union with Him. Assurance of salvation, as you might say. The biggest arguments I hear articulated by people who don't believe that you can have assurance or that you should <laughs> are actually personal anecdotes of their own. Like, and they'll point to, don't you remember Sam? Sam, he preached three years and look at him now. <laughs> right? Um, <laughs> what? And it's just, and that's, that's not a personal person. Sam, if you're out there. Sam, if you're out there. <laughs> repent. Uh, <laughs> You know what I mean? It's uh, they they oh. use these. Well, you know, I I seen my grandmother for forty years, and then I, there at the end, she said, "Never mind." <laughs> so it's like you know, if that is how salvation works, and that's the hope I have, is that my own strength must pull me through to the end. Then yeah, you're not going to have any peace, and that's not the biblical message. So so what's touched on here is the doctrine of apostasy, right? This mm-hmm. idea of there can be operations of the Spirit among people. They can make professions and they can appear outwardly righteous, yeah. outwardly conformed to the image of Christ and outwardly saved. Now, they use Matthew 13. They use a bunch of scriptures. The two I would highlight for this idea of apostasy. Matthew Matthew thirteen twenty and 21, and that's the parable of the sower, specifically the rocky ground. Sown among uh, rocky ground, this idea of the seed that's sown and springs up immediately and seems to produce life, but is choked out. Um, over time because the soil has no depth and it's rocky and it can't get the nutrients it needs it was never connected right that's the idea but yeah. it sure does look like it i think that jesus is no fool and jesus tells this on purpose the same uh problem the terrors type deal yeah the wheat and the terrors is another great example mm-hmm. they look the they look the same so much so that you can't tell them apart it, yeah so this and, yeah uh, apostasy is a big a big a big issue uh, Hebrews 6, they use yeah. Hebrews 6, 4, and 5. Mm-hmm. Uh, so That's Hebrews 6 and Hebrews 10 are the big apostasy passages, along with Second Peter, say, 2. Um, and, and those are also the passages that Armenian Jews that are of the persuasion that you can lose your salvation. That's the big three, Hebrews 6, Hebrews 10, 2 Peter 2. Uh, or just Second Peter, but usually Second Peter 2. And they use these, which are uh, apostasy passages. Uh, spoiler. And... <laughs> They use these passages to say these people that are talked about in these contexts are regenerate people that then are are lost. And we disagree. (laughs) We disagree. Why? Uh, Although they may be called by the ministry of the word, they may have some common operations of the spirit, yet not being intellectually drawn, they neither neither can come or truly will, so to speak, come to Christ. So they can appear outwardly as regenerate people, but inwardly they are not. Yeah, thank Pharisee. Think Pharisees here. That's exactly what they are. They claim to know God, but they're whitewashed tombs. So this common operation of the Spirit, that's the means of grace. So these people are the people that, that go to church every Lord's Day, partake of the supper, partake of the sac- sacrament, set under the word. Those people that would appear outwardly regenerate that are not. Yeah. They can be. They can share in the operations of the means of grace. They can share in that supper, which you and I would take, or anyone that is regenerate would take. But they don't share in the same substance. Yeah, there's only the hour. The only the hour administration of that do they partake in. <clears throat> it's not as if uh, they are effectually called and lost, like Mitchell said. 
but they 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 only appear to be regenerate, yeah. such as Hebrews ten and six and ten teach. Yeah, uh, so that they use, of course, John six forty four forty five. No one can come to me unless it's granted to him by the Father. Right. So, by implication, when it's granted, it, it's not lost. First uh, John two twenty four twenty five. You will be my disciples if you abide in my word, you know. Yeah. So uh, first yeah. John would be the letter I would recommend for anybody actually struggling with assurance. Uh, Acts oh, yeah. four twelve. There's no other name given among heaven by whom men must be saved. Uh, John seventeen three, this is eternal life that they know you and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. Well cumulatively here, I think big picture what they're getting at is uh, there is benefits to be conveyed to people through uh, connection to the body of Christ, through going through the motions. We'll say it like that. There's there's benefits. That idea of operation to the Spirit is not internal operations. That is, the Spirit doesn't come, give them a new heart, and then uh, half a new heart, half stone, half flesh, see how it turns out. None of that goes on. That's not actually what takes place what takes place is they look a certain way outwardly but they are not and uh going a step further people that ain't christian ain't saved (laughs) that's what they're saying much less can men that receive yeah they're uh, saying if if these people that share in the operation of the spirit that aren't officially called much less are those people that don't even share in those operations (laughs) can they be saved yeah so and we've 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 talked about that before. This idea of you know, and it's kind of similar to the idea I said about funerals. Mm-hmm. The only thing it takes for people to be saved in other countries is that they've, you know, never heard the gospel, so they're saved, right? No, yeah. So so what they're going on to say is, is they diligently frame their lives according to the light of nature and the law of the religion, the religion which they profess. So it's not a problem for a Puritan to say, hey, this Islamic guy that everybody says is so sincere in his faith, yeah, he hates God and he's going to hell. Yeah. Well, because that's what Scripture says. Uh, so this, they they diligently frame whatever revelation they have to. Pro, so let's say an Islamic guy, because they are genuine and conform to Islamic standards, does not mean that they have Christ, nor does it mean that they that that they anyway they have salvation. It's not faith that saves you. It's the object of your faith. It's Christ. Christ saves. By his completion of this covenant of works and this covenant of grace conveyed to you in the option, the condition of you being in that covenant of grace is is in fact repentance and faith. And that's faith in the conscious faith in the objective Messiah of the Bible, not implicit, but conscience, explicit faith in Christ. And that's what they're saying here. So anyone that that does not have this operation, this effectual call, will in fact be damned, rightly so. So there's there's no there's no hope apart from Christ. There's no hope for anyone but apart from Christ. Amen. Yeah. He offers it to you freely. First one thing I'd say if it, <clears throat> this is the first time you ever come across stuff like this, uh it's good for you. <laughs> It's good for you to know what God says. See how clearly they, they they confess this truth. Okay, this doesn't need more exegesis. This doesn't need more thought. This just needs faithfulness. Okay, I want I want to say this clearly. This just needs faithfulness from the Christian church to proclaim this truth 
that there is no life apart from Christ, that you apart from Christ are dead in sin and trespasses and that you need his grace not that, you know, we'll hope for the best for the man in Kenya that loves God. Because he doesn't love God. He hates God. And he's going to die in that, in that way unless God shows him grace. I can talk about that for a while. but Yeah. Just pro- proclaim that. Believe that. Proclaim it. All religions clearly. are exclusive, especially secularism. <laughs> right. so, so, especially syncretism. Mm-hmm. That's the, the just... Mm. So, there's no escaping it, right? Yes, you're not any better off. <laughs> you're you're exclusive no matter where you go. Yeah. Truth excludes, truth divides, truth destroys, error. So so if, so, yeah. so so if the genuineness of these people which do not have the Christian faith that have ordered themselves to general revelation and their own religion, if those people are in fact could be saved, why send missionaries? Why why even risk it? Why why bring greater condemnation? Why would you just say, Well, we'll just hope for the best? Yeah. It's preposterous, and in no way is it biblical whatsoever to say that those people are genuine in faith because they're genuine in what they worship, and that is not the triune God of Scripture. Yeah, and that's why they cite John seventeen three, is that uh, <clears throat> true eternal life is the actual knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ, whom God sent. Th- there is no life apart from that. No man can come. Yeah, so their their religiosity here, according to point four, or their ordering to that re- religiosity, in no way has merit before the triune God of the universe. Is it? Yeah. Okay. Right, what we got coming up? Uh, justification. Hmm. The one of the Western Church's foundation. Justification. Justification. We will have a guest on our next podcast. Hmm. It's a mystery. Come back for that. <laughs>